So tonight you are in for a real treat. Welcome to this evening's edition of the Global Math Department. My name is Lee Natero and I'll be your host tonight. Tonight we're going to be hearing from Diana McLean and Sam Kaplan. Um, or actually, I should have asked Sam if he goes by Sam or Samuel Kaplan. Uh, but we're going to be hearing from the two of them tonight about the power of words we speak and think. Uh, before I introduce them and turn the presentation over to them, I would like everybody to introduce themselves in the chat room, telling us what you teach, where you teach, and what your Twitter handle is if you have one. Good to see so many familiar faces here tonight. And I definitely know we have people here from beyond the United States. I saw Australia. Often we have some of our Canadian friends visiting with us here as well. So welcome everyone. So before um, I introduce our speaker, let me explain a little bit about how these meetings work. These meetings are recorded and are available approximately 24 hours after the meeting ends. To view the recording, you can use the same URL you used to get here tonight. The global math community prides itself on being friendly and supportive. The chat room is available for topical and general conversation throughout the meeting. I'll be sure to catch any questions that our presenters might miss. And uh, as I said, tonight you're in for a great treat. Tonight we have two speakers with us. Um, both of our speakers are Math for America fellows. Um, Samuel's actually a Math for America master teacher, and Diana teaches at the Los Angeles Unified Public uh, School District, and uh, Samuel teaches at the Brando Middle School uh, in the Los Angeles Unified Public School District as well. So welcome to both of them. Great, thank you, Lee. Thank you for having us. Um, we're so pleased. This is Diana. Uh, we're so pleased to be here and we're so thankful that you're giving your evening to us um, to kind of do a, a thought experiment will you, with you. Um, uh, so I teach high school in Los Angeles, California, and I'm currently quarantining at my sister's house in Oregon. And it's a lovely day here and pleased to give you a little bit of my time. Sam? All right. I am Samuel Kaplan or Sam Kaplan. I usually go by Sam. Um, I teach in Los Angeles at Berendo Middle School as well, um, and uh, I actually met Diana a long time ago when she was my resource teacher at Berendo Middle School. Yeah, what a fun experience. I got hired as a long-term substitute as a resource teacher, and it was the best like trial by fire. I got to observe all the greatest teachers and push into their classrooms and brainstorm with them. So that's how I met Sam, and uh, we've been on a learning journey together for a while. So I do want to say um, Sam and I have the same photo posting in the chat, so yes. <laughs> we're not identical twins. We do look similar. Yeah. <laughs> well, we have long hair. <laughs> <laughs> um, so tonight, our topic, we originally designed this talk as um, an 
NCTM talk for Chicago. And when that got canceled, we were invited to come here for the global math department. So um, yeah, it, the title is The Power of Words We Speak and Think. And the idea is to just um, kind of consider the things that have become normalized over time. So we wanted to start uh, with a little bit of a game. If you're familiar with categories, that's traditionally you'd get a paper with three columns with 12 items in each column. So the way that we're gonna do it, uh, you don't have paper, so we could just like free for all in the chat if you feel comfortable, fill in as many words as you can on each list within the given time. Um, so, are you ready, Sam? Yeah, and I think we'll just sort of read some of them out loud to get shared, yeah. uh, not all of them. Right, right. So the first list is words you have heard to describe students. Thank you, Lee, look smart. Right. Yeah, of course the opposite, dumb, sometimes fast. Welcome, Becky Bob. We see you. Uh, a natural, bright, lazy, intelligent, funny, smart, uh, goofy. Yeah. Low, driven, diligent, smart, hardworking, funny, quick, quicker, slow, struggling, conscientious, social, red kids, behind, yellow kids, unbelievable, creative, hard worker, green kids, talented, impulsive, great, good at maths, annoying, oh, sped, chatty, disruptive. Oh, is that what? Yeah. Um, chatty again. Bubble kids. I don't know what that is. Smart, fast, slow, honors. Creative, open, neurodifferent, gifted. Gifted. Mm-hmm. Uh, gets me every time. Yep. E-L-L, critical thinker, naughty. Yeah, sped again. Awesome, English language learner, problem solver. Yeah. So... E-L-L. Yeah, I think that's probably a big trend for all of us. Sassy. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> oh, high flyer, underachiever. Bubble kids, on the bubble between passing and failing the test. That's interesting. Thanks, Trisha, for the clarification. Lazy, troubled, unmotivated. unmotivated. Mm -hmm. Shy. Peter, I'm not sure what that is. Uh, quiet, dreamer. Oh, got it. Yeah, quiet. Okay, so that was our first list. We can kind of keep those words in mind. I'm gonna switch to the next slide. Uh, active, thank you, Natalie. And next slide. Okay, so the next slide is just outlining the second column, and we'll do it a little bit faster this time. That says words you have used to describe students. So words that come out of your mouth, things that you've said, whether, um, yeah, thank you. Fast, slow. Thank you, Sam. ADD kid. Thank you, Becky. Social, active, capable. I know it seems like we probably used the words in the first list as well. Um, disappointing, brilliant, sweet, amazing, struggling. Thank you. Hard worker. Interesting, quick, frustrating. I hear you. Inspiring, hilarious, talkative. 
focused, mm -hmm. curious. Thank you so much. Yes, has a lot of potential, outstanding, selfish, underachieving, motivated. Uh, Unengaged. Mm -hmm. Introverted, right. Yeah. Right. Oh, thank you, Becky. Struggles with executive function, diligent. Okay, and then finally, our last list on the, on the next slide forward, it says words that schools and systems use to classify groups of students. So these are kind of the, the bigger words, the words that are coming through. Um, well, you, you write what you think. <laughs> synergistic words that schools and systems use to classify groups of students. Gifted, CP, college prep, ADHD, talented, basic, gifted, honors, low performing, tier one, tier two, autistic, below basic, core level, 504 kids, gate, remedial, proficient, pathways, special education, vocational, economically disadvantaged, right? Uh, IEP, advanced bubble honors, um, right? Uh, mental retardation comes up. Executive functioning disorder, ELL, AP, AVID, AP, ELL, honors, non-proficient, ADHD, GT, honors. Obviously, these are just, like, I mean, <laughs> college brown, accelerated. We have provided so many labels like in our, in our daily um you know, teaching life. These things have become bliss. I'm sure that's an acronym for something. Uh, gifted, high achievers, low achievers, learning, disabled, high achieving. Um, so that's kind of what our talk is going to be about. It's like these words that have become the norm. So um, we're just, when we reflected on practice and we're thinking about how to improve, by no means are we improved. We're just trying to grow as educators and these kinds of things have come up. I go to the next slide. Uh, this would be if we were all together, we would do a share and compare, right? So we've kind of shared and compared in the chat. I'm going to skip to the next slide, which is, of course, everybody gets a prize. Also, our slides are green with leprechauns because we were planning for like a St. Patrick's Day presentation and I didn't change it. Thank you for keeping going with that. We have more words in the chat. Academy, PLCs, dyscalculia, slow processor. Slow processor. So give yourself a prize, give yourself a pat on the back. Hopefully you've smiled because you contributed and we appreciate you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, and now this is my little moment. The arrow is pointing to my own child in this picture. He's just turned eight um, and he's got a crew of amazing adults that all went as the Joker for Halloween. Um, he's in second grade and he holds everything until the very, very last moment when he should be falling asleep. And that's when I finally hear about his day. So um, in the, I guess it was in January-ish, it's like 10 o'clock and I'm like, why are you still awake? And he finally just started sobbing. And he said, uh, mom, I'm below grade level. And I just thought to myself, I was like, whoa, that's insane. Like, why do you have those words? You're in second grade and you're definitely, you know, my own, you're like a child of a teacher. You're not below grade level. Like I had my own feelings wrapped up in that. And then I just was like, I was just overzealous, like trying to get information. Like, how did he receive this message about himself? Right. 
So he's given a test like this. Uh, it's out of, um, I think it's University of Oregon. It's called the DeBells, D-I-B-E-L-S. I'm, I'm not an um, early education teacher. I had never seen it before. But this is the example they give you for free online. Essentially, they're sentences with blanks. And then they give you a list of three choices to put in the blanks. And they give you 30 sentences and they give you three minutes. And I was completely flabbergasted that my child was was like asked to do this because when he was explaining it, he was like, well, there was three choices. So I read the question three times to double check that my word made sense. And I was like, that's amazing. You should definitely do that. Uh, and I was trying to prop him up. Uh, and he was just like, well, no, mom, because now I'm I'm below grade level. And I was like, uh, why? And he was like, well, I didn't answer very many of them because I was being slow and careful. And I was just like, oh, this messaging is wrong. And I felt terrible. So this is my best guess of what I think would go in these sentences. I honestly have no idea. Like it feels very, um, I don't know. I don't know. I just, I just felt so gross. And I was like, and also why would he have seen the rubric? So then I started thinking about like as teachers, like we, we love data and we're always analyzing data and like the back end of our testing systems and our grade books, everything is like, you know, class progress management, you know, um, progress graph, here's the grades, here's what they're doing. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, so Natalie, you can you can Google this test. It it comes up um, if you Google D-I-B-E-L-S, it comes up and you could download the test and the answer key and all of it. But for me, I was just like, bull. And then, but I was like, wait a minute, like I'm constantly categorizing data. And a lot of those messages come through my mouth via rubrics or grades or whatever to my students, my own personal students. And I was just like, why? Like, what are we doing? <laughs> And so, um, Sam, I'll pass it to you. I spoke a lot already. Yeah, no, I was just going to, I was just thinking of a few things <clears throat> in that, like the, the teacher, your son's teacher, we don't even know, you know, was that a directive from her principal to, to share that information? It's just, it's just really interesting how these are all, to me, they're just all systems problems. Um, <sighs> Yeah. And we as teachers have become like numb to them. Like, why would you question that if you've given this test every year? Like, why would you consider the messaging? Yeah. Um, and yeah, education should not be viewed as a, a race. And it's it's like more than it's just mm -hmm. it's it's the fact that. At least the first half of my career, which I'm just getting through I'm, i've only taught i've taught for 15 years so i've got another half to go and i do feel like i just started thinking about these things in the last like five years which means for 10 years like i was literally just like another cog in the system like yeah. not, not even questioning or thinking about any of these labels right using them in like a super callous way and or not just a casual way yeah. yeah um but i would argue that even that casual way is like a callous way. It's not yeah. not like yeah. it's not and about intention. It's about like the results and the results. Absolutely. Of your son in this case hearing that he's like below grade level, which is like, you know, 
That's um, a defining yeah. moment in who he thinks he is in the classroom for sure. Right. I see Jen in the chat is like district mandate. Like we do have a ton of these like things coming down that we don't totally have control of. So um, our idea tonight is just like, you know, think about the power of words. And I think Sam really concisely says it in a later slide. So I won't. Um, yeah, so like student student facing data, what messages does it send? So in this case, in in my opinion, it's not just the fact that the test was difficult or unfair. To me, it's like even if you're measuring a kid as far below grade level or, or below grade level or at grade level or beyond grade level, um, those labels are just they don't they don't work. And then more importantly, what do we what do we do with them? Because most of the time, I don't know about your guys' experiences at your school sites, but most of the time I feel like we just literally apply labels and we don't actually use them. And in my opinion, that's like the whole point of labeling something, right? Is right. like you want to label something so like you know what it is and you know now you've identified this thing and you know like certain things to do with them. So in the case of a learner, if you label them, um, you you should be able to get something out of that label. Um, but I feel like we literally just like stamp kids and then move them forward. Yeah, you placed them in a bin. That was the bin they belonged in. Uh, so yeah, like how did the student receive the message? What did that do to their learner identity? And also, yeah, what is the teacher doing to, to move them into a different category if, if that's the point of the label? So here's some more student facing data things, you know, if you get standard met, like you feel, you feel okay, but you, you can see on that report standard exceeded is there. If you get far below basic and uh, these messages are sent home in the state of California, like this is mailed to students houses. Like when a student gets to me in ninth grade algebra one, they have such a strong mathematical identity uh, and they, they think they know where they are and um, most of my job and probably in middle school too is like overcoming how they feel about these labels that have been applied to them. Yeah, like these, yeah, I don't know. The older I get, the more I feel really strongly about these topics. So for example, I feel like these scores shouldn't even be shared with students unless they're specifically, like a process to specifically ask for them. Um, and I understand that they want these measures so that they can identify what schools are not teaching students. Um, but I'll also share with you guys that I work at a school that, you know, standard not met is like the most common score. Um, our smarter balance scores are super low and we're all working really hard and our kids are all learning a lot. And um, yeah, we get better every year, but it's like, I don't know why my kids have to be, see that they haven't met a standard right. um, uh, or a whole grade level for multiple years in a row. Um, yeah. Jackie, thank important. you for that. It's like, we don't need to tell them the label. We need to tell them like, here are some like actual steps. Exactly. Um, so yeah, this is the moment. And if you're comfortable sharing in the public chat, that would be amazing. But was there a time that for you or your child or any of your students were labeled and what 
effect did that have? I hope I used the right form of effect effect. Um, so if you could share a moment like of being labeled. I can share a story with everybody while hopefully a couple people are typing. And it's actually a really positive story. Um, when I was in elementary and middle school, I got pulled out for resource learning because I was dyslexic. But the only reason I ever knew I was dyslexic was because I asked my mom why I'm being pulled out. And the label was, it didn't seem very um, scarring for me personally. And more importantly, like I was receiving services that really helps me get through uh, high school and college. Yeah. I think your context is is helpful too, Sam. Like you had an educator mom and you went to like a very um, cohesive and amazing school that was like meant to pick kids up, right? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm a very privileged person um, <laughs> for sure. And that's definitely like an example of it. Um, but I, I do think that that I'm sure there's a ton of people that have very similar stories that they don't feel were positive outcomes. Yeah, Lee is, sh is sharing like I was in the 98th percentile and already the pressure was like I was upset because it wasn't higher. Yeah, hyper aware of the word accelerated for math classes. Yeah, I, I love that you're saying labels are bad for students on both ends because they're creating a bias in ourselves as well. I like Trisha's sharing about her son being, quote unquote, you're not IB material. Mm -hmm. And I know it's like uh, it's like so much worse when it's our kids. It's, mm -hmm. It hurts. Oh, so much worse. Becky, scared of losing the status of being yeah, high enough for the special math group. Yeah. Yes. Thank you, Natalie. Like this is a microaggression that was sent to my child. Like, how dare you say below grade level? He is learning and exploring. He's a second grader, right? Or small child. And I like how Peter's sharing that, like we often do our best work and learn the most when we're, when we're making, I lost it right there, but I seem to say we're making lots of mistakes and not necessarily getting the best like grades which yeah. I totally agree with like if you're getting straight A's all the time um most likely you're not being challenged right not all, but most likely yeah Naira sharing like the nerves of wanting to reclassify out of EL IQ scores I see somebody sharing an IQ score, I've never taken an IQ test, um, but yeah, I know that they're super biased and I don't think they're very accurate. I love this, Francis, the first two sentences. My child was offered an alternative way to take the test. Um, at least, I mean, that's one positive of like, you could still show mastery, but I, I get what you're saying. Like we to continue with the writing because he's got to improve that as well. Yeah, so many feelings, so many feelings. Um, thank you for sharing. If you, you know, 
this slide, obviously these were animated gifts, you would say, but it's a bunch of words. Like, and we're, we're not the word police. Sam and I make mistakes all the time and we're human. And, and like he said, like we're 10 years in before we start reflecting and now 12 to 15 years in, you know, we're, um, we're trying to do better, which hopefully, I mean, obviously you guys are here tonight. You're trying to do better. So um, this is where I think we're inspired by um, Lonnie Horn, like monitoring your language and our thinking will shift. And Sam, I think she says it best. Are you there? Am I yeah, there? Sorry. Uh, <laughs> just about like, like, extending your word choice, like speaking in complete sentences with very specific examples instead of like doing that, the labeling of like one word choice or. Yeah, so I just like um, to go back to the very first thing we did when we were sort of typing out what are words uh, we've heard, what are words we've used and what are words that the system uses. Um, I remember Becky Bob used a really long one. Um, in the chat, yeah. And I can't remember exactly what it was, but to me, the first thing I thought is like, oh, that's a, like, all the other labels were super short. Um, yep. That label was really long. And to me, the length of a label, the longer it is, the more you can do with it. Yeah. Like it, it directs you to um, an action which is something I know we've been discussing in chat as well, that idea of like, don't just label me, tell me what I need to do to mm -hmm. get better or improve or um, whatever, whatever is the goal. Mm -hmm. So um, like I said, like Sam and I make mistakes all the time. Like we say that one class, like the troublesome six period, like, um, I knew at my school this year is the class that makes me earn my paycheck. I hadn't heard that before this year, but like it's been said, like the difficult class. Um, and so the idea of the talk is just bring awareness and brainstorm possibilities for improvement. It's um, not at all us knowing we're all just learning in this process. So when we made these slides, uh, the first list uh, words we've heard to describe kids, like if we're looking at that list one, like those words feel affirming. They all feel so good. If you're listening to this on the recording, it's like high achiever, gifted, honors, fast, advanced, attentive, considerate, productive, motivated. But for each of those words, those words that seem less harmful, there's a implied opposite. Like there's someone who's not an, a high achiever. And you better believe that the kids, they feel that. So. Um, and I would argue that like, even those positive labels are not super useful. So agreed. Like, even within the context of middle school mathematics, which is like my jam, um, like is this like saying a student's a high achiever, um, is that mean across the board and every single, like branch of mathematics that we well, do. Not even, yeah, you just can't be. Like you have to have those like moments of struggle when you're learning. Like you're not always high achieving. Um, yeah, and you're not always as interested in geometry or statistics or maybe you are really into visual patterns. Um, like there's like so much math out there that we don't even show our kids. Mm -hmm. And 
because they don't perform on like a certain set of tests or they don't line up on this rubric the way that um, that we hope that they did, then we once again like apply these labels that like are not, they don't drive you to action, which is, I, I'd argue like, like you should be like thinking, reflecting, and then like driving yourself to action. Like that's like the teaching cycle. Um, yeah. yeah. So of course, when we did that list three, those words were just flying up. And I, I think list three was um, words that we've heard schools and systems say. And I think that I've become really desensitized because they were just put in front of my face so often like i heard them coming out of my mouth and when kids hear that about themselves or i mean i've sat in some uh, student success team meetings where like those words are spoken to the kid's face with such like punctuation and finality and there's no like comment of this is where you are now and you will be somewhere else in the future like i've it just really like it just punches me when a kid hears out loud, well, you're far below basic. And hopefully you wouldn't say that to a child. But um, I I hope one action is like when we're in those meetings, we say out loud like, oh, no, he doesn't mean it like that. He means your reading level is currently, you know, and just kind of explain to the I mean, it's heartbreaking to watch it happen to students. Yeah, and to me, it's like, this is the third time I've done this talk, and it's always really interesting. The first time, I wasn't expecting it, but the how list three just goes so fast. You sort of hear um, some more shocking things in, in list one, um, but in list three is like where people have like no trouble contributing like five labels super fast mm -hmm. yeah tracy i think that's one thing like we we're here to brainstorm and learn with you like we don't know the answers and we i agree with you you said in the chat that it says ell like how how can we get folks to understand um that we that we have to use scaffolds and things to like help them reach you know how can we not use that descriptor so thank you hector for chiming in i and think then, the issue yeah. And then Howie with the emerging seems to be the the more thoughtful label for sure. I feel like a lot of times the more thoughtful labels are definitely not in usage yet. My wife works in the special ed community. That's definitely super prevalent in the special ed community. Like uh, I feel like people that are on the level that she's at of thoughtfulness are using like a whole different set of vocabulary that is actually necessary. Um, or I shouldn't say necessary, but uh, but is common. Um, and then I do just want to say though, like once again, that um, I I think I think that that like as far as like the ELL label, like I'm always using language still. Like I'm always going home and being like, gosh, I can't believe I I said that. Or mm -hmm. Or at the end of a year, like reflecting back and being like, wow, I did this all year. Um, mm -hmm. Like Diana and I are definitely not like up up on our soapbox, and we definitely don't think that we like. We don't have any answers. We're just willing to think publicly. <laughs> I just think like step one, honestly, for me is like 
thinking about it, like yeah. going home, reflecting on my language, like really critically and like thinking about it and trying to adjust it. And like also one thing to think about, like I don't want to just have this conversation with Tracy, but with everyone, like these labels, especially labels like ELL, which are so prevalent, we work inside of like a huge system um, that's, and it's really difficult, I think, to be very thoughtful sometimes when you're yeah. inside your system. Right. So uh, here's some ideas that we came up with. And again, we don't have answers. But one thing that I've heard, if you have to discuss a student and they're not there, like pull up a photo of the student and pretend that they're there. Like monitor the words that come out of your mouth in a way that they could have heard you because then you're going to be more precise and you're going to be more caring. Uh, monitor your intentions. Consider the power of the words like that, that emotional impact and that effect that has on student learner identity and, and how parents view their kids as well, depending on who your audience is and other teachers. And then this is um, what I think we've been getting to the whole time. It's like if you use precise language and you describe in detail of the moment, for example, I noticed that congruent triangles are still troublesome versus you failed the unit six test. Like, no, like here's a thing. Here's a tangible thing that we're still working on, like moving forward. And I think uh, for me, this moment in time of like uh, LA Unified has like stagnated their grades. Like no one can get less than and everyone can get more than. And I'm like, what an amazing way to show learning. I, I really am like relishing in it. But I know it's going to be hard for a lot of people. Uh, the power of yet, of course, we've seen those slides. And then uh, supporting a positive mathematical identity, like help students um, develop the confidence. And part of that is the language surrounding Sam, you got anything on that? I was just going to say, I think this is really a time where I'd, I, I'd like to share the fact that I know as adults, I think sometimes we, we are definitely still labeled all the time, right? Um, and I think as adults, those labels, they don't, they don't land for some of us as heavily. And I think that's exactly because we are adults, like, like me, for example, like I, I'm, I have a family, I've. Your I've, priorities are different. Career, like there's like a lot of things that like um, lead me to have a positive identity and that identity is not going to get like smashed down by, by like you have poor credit, like, you know, <laughs> um, like that stinks, but like, it's not going to mess me up nearly as much. I would argue as like a child being labeled as low performing because they haven't like fully formed their identities and they don't really know who they are yet. And I mean, I teach middle school, so it's like, I feel like most of those kids, they're like, you're seeing them forming their identities every day. Um, and I'm sure elementary is still same way and high school as well. Um, but they, I just think it's like, I think personally having a positive mathematical identity is like the number one correlator to being successful in learning mathematics. Um, Agreed. So I think that being really thoughtful about all of this language with our young students that we work with is worth it. Uh, so this is where we like give a plea for help. Like how do we 
how do we do this as educators? Like, what are some word shifts, some things we could do? Um, and I'll show you some brainstorms from previous times we've done this presentation. But I'd love to hear this group of educators that we're with tonight. Like, what are what's a small shift? Like, what did you do? What could you do now? Or what are you doing and you find helpful? Or how do you speak to other adults? If you could just blow up the chat, we'll try and read out as many as we can. And I saw Dina shared in the Q&A as well that the uh, the idea of describing different attributes of a student is a way for educators to identify strengths and weaknesses so we can better develop common strategies to support the child. So this is where we all in remote learning were wondering if you walked away. <laughs> okay. So the feedback in the, in the chat, you can put it a little emoji down there if you want to but uh, it would be great if you could throw up something in the chat like how he said we could use emerging bilinguals instead of ell right so a shift from saying ladies and gentlemen to folks yeah. Or guys, that happened. We used to say, hey guys, model it yourself to other teachers. Nice. Yeah. And I have to say, I, I've given this presentation at my school. Um, and it's, yeah, it's, I think that's the best thing you can do because I'm not super comfortable like correcting people all the time, at least not yet. No, and people don't want to be corrected. Other adults do not like that. <laughs> yeah, I don't like being corrected. No. Uh, Jessica's recommending What We Say and How We Say It Matter by Mike Anderson. He makes me think about how I communicate. Is that a book, Jessica? See Dina's again saying change the language and the culture of the classroom, mm -hmm. uh, modeling and reflecting with others. Yeah, to say hello friends or class instead of a gender uh, binary, more of a neutral. Guys was so hard to get over. It was so hard. How he's talking about how just that starting sentences with you can be mm -hmm. detrimental, like you failed or you are not smart, as opposed to in the work I see here, it seems that blah, blah, blah is missing. Is. Yeah, I love that. Like refer to the item to flows yeah. and grows. Well, I'll start with a compliment. Thank you, Sherry. And then I think like going back to Huey's or Howie's, excuse me, um, that he, it's like a lot longer right so that yeah. is like, that is always in my opinion that's always the trade-off like so how do we fix the language system like me one thing i concentrate on is like just more words yeah literally more words i think becky is is reiterating like name the specific thing and and use person first language uh something that i'm doing you know now that we are kind of all distance learning is like when kids message me, I try to use their first name multiple times in the context just so they could feel more connected. Like, 
I know I'm, I know who I'm speaking to and just to like, I have no idea if, you know, they're getting that positive affirmation, just using their first name. Um, Peter's saying things aren't finished instead of like, we're, we're on the process of growing grades might be final, but kids can continue to learn and should. Lee was Lee shared that she had a student that they called themselves stupid all year and and it was hard for him to overcome those negative messages um, to himself. And I think we can all relate to those students and the fact that like we can literally spend a whole year trying to change their identity and, and sometimes feel like they still leave with a, a pretty negative mathematical identity. I've never heard that, Natalie. It's uh, micro affirmations to build students up, illuminate them, while microaggressions make students feel torn down and belittled. I think, I mean, we've we've been to the talk where we learned what microaggressions were. If you don't know, definitely Google it. Um, yeah. Jessica says it's about trying to create a culture where, where everyone's comfortable making mistakes and growing. And there's definitely like, I think a large overlap between being really thoughtful with your language and concepts like um, growth mindset, which is also like a really a lot around language. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah. um, so the slide showing now is like some brainstorms that happened through Sam and I is doing this presentation at our school sites and um, once at MFA. So, I know you guys can read the slide. I don't know, Lee, maybe you could chime in the people that are hearing the slide. Do they see the slides too, if they're recording it? They can see the slides too, great. Um, so something that sticks out to me on this slide is like apply grace, like to the kids and to yourself and like forgive yourself for mistakes. But if you are forgiving yourselves, then you need to, you need to acknowledge the mistake and apologize you need to like, really think about the actions. Um, this kind of kind of classified made me giggle when I was thinking about this talk because as mathematicians we're often like we're trying to classify like all the time we're making patterns and we're we're using shortcuts and more efficient ways to solve but with our language like we need to we need to be more precise which is maybe different than than the mindset of just like get this done as quickly as possible. Like, no, it's it's more important than that. And like the older I get, even with my mathematics, I like don't care about efficiency. Right. Like yeah. when I was a younger teacher, that was like things that I would those were like work, student work that I would always try to point out. Be like, oh, look how efficiently, you know, blah, 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 did this problem. Um, as opposed to now, it's it's like I try to look for much different things to share in my classroom. Mm -hmm. So it's really interesting the like the overlap in the language and the math. Yeah. On this slide again, just like things we've kind of brainstormed to repair the harm. Like one is not applying right now, but like when you're speaking to a student don't speak over them if they're sitting down like you need to get to their level and talk directly to them about what they're doing like don't 
your body language also is sending messages as well. Like how he said, like use use things like I'm I am noticing, I'm wondering. Um, other people have said like apply a compliment first. And I think leveling is like so important, right? Like if if you're physically able to, like getting down, getting at their level, I think it just feels so much different. And then talking nice and quietly and having like a nice little, you know, as privately as we can chat. Um, like I find that I get so much out of all of that. And then I know I saw in the chat a couple of people talking about the power of apologizing. Like I couldn't agree with that more. And like, mm -hmm. I mean, I've been observed so many times and the person observing me has been like, you apologize too much. <laughs> and they say it to me like as a, as a criticism. Um, but to me, I'm like modeling humility and I am building like, relationships. Yeah. Like all of those things. And like, I, I, I think that, I make, I think I, I have a lot of things to get a lot better at, at being a mathematics teacher, but I think there are some things I'm really good at. And I think that's like one of them. Like, it's just like building real relationships. Yeah. With those I, kids. And I think it's thing, all the little micro talks. Micro, exactly, micro talks. And like, think about who the message is directed to. Like, are you speaking to one student or does the class need to hear this? And I think that's really super important of like, if you're going to um, help a student grow, you're gonna like you're gonna speak in confidence to them more often than you're gonna speak whole class, and um, so that's interesting too. It's just like who's your audience for this comment? So um, next slide, what's getting rewarded? Discuss things honestly with our kids. I mean, this is all. Don't set things up as competition. Like we're in it together. And then um, there's a reference to like high status students in our classrooms. That's something once again the first half of my career I didn't I didn't think about at all, and now and, it's so important to me. Right, and credit to Lonnie Horn for like making that so apparent in the work that we're doing. Um, We've kind of done done this, but if we want to kind of add to the chat window, we can. Obviously, when we do a talk in person, the turn and talk is we could we could see it. <laughs> but one thing that came up um, at my school site. Um, was a recommendation to like give a very clear rubric when you're assessing student work. Like give the rubric beforehand and at the top of the rubric, don't use words <laughs> that are like emerging, developing, you know, like use words that are positive. Um, Tracy has a really good question about the, the language we get around our standardized tests and like what are ways that we can talk to students to minimize the harm around that. And I'll be honest, Tracy, like that's like, to me, that's like, I'm not doing that yet. What I'm, mm -hmm. what I'm, what I guess what I'm doing is I'm not really talking about those at all. I'm, I'm assessing my students often um, in my, on my own. Um, and I don't, 
apply a lot of weight to what my students take, which is the smarter balance, like end of year assessment, because yeah. I'm a middle school teacher. Yeah, but like for me, like with my own child in second grade, I really, I wanted him to have some test taking strategies before the test. Like, hey, this is a time test and I'm really interested in how many you can get correct. So here's, if you don't know it on your first or second read, skip it, go on. And I think just to like normalize what the teacher was looking for and then um, uh, normalize, but also like explain to the students, like this is a thing that the whole state is doing, you know, and just like, it doesn't, it doesn't matter uh, what, you know, what the result are, as long as you like tried your best. And like, this is a label that you don't need to apply to yourself, I think is helpful to just like, just say like, this is happening to you and it wasn't designed for you. And just be clear about that. So the tangible, actionable items, how do we fix our language? Um, this is a screenshot from teaching for robust understanding of mathematics. And we're like coming to the end of the slides that are not really as um, flushed out. But um, the true framework, TRU, the true framework, if you Google it, it will come up. And each one of these five like colored buckets has really clear um, ways to think about your practice. I really enjoy the time I get to spend with these documents. There's like they're shocking and they're in depth and they're in detail and they pose questions like for you to observe other teachers. They pose questions for you to think about like from the perspective of a student in your class. So um, obviously you can't pick all five to improve on your practice. But I I like to like think, you know, like on a regular monthly basis, like I'm going to think about this in detail and and really like push myself to improve. So this is a resource that I use and I've I've used it, especially when um, if my classroom gets filmed, when I'm rewatching the film, it helps me give myself language to discuss what I've seen. So. And then this is just like directly from that true framework, like someone just said in the chat, isn't it about classroom culture? And it's like, yeah, this totally is about classroom culture. Um, yeah, thanks, Dina. Those tests are they I mean, they weren't designed for our students. They, <laughs> like Dina is in the, in the chat saying this is happening to you instead of designed for you. I think I have a. I I used to have a poster on my door that said, you belong here. And then the longer I looked at it, I was just like, well, that it doesn't feel right anymore because this is definitely like my classroom and my space. And like, I would much prefer instead of you belong here in this space, like I designed this for you. And I, and I didn't, you know, like I want to, and I want to design it with them, but um, that's what I, you know, all of those things when you're, when you're going down that thought spiral. Yeah, I know Tracy and I have been chatting still about like this, the standardized test issue, or just to me, it's like, 
the the systems issue right because mm -hmm. like i work inside of lausd so it's like it's big it's big but they didn't have any trouble canceling it this year so i think there's room to push yeah no i think there's <laughs> push and i think you know i shared that i'm i think being a middle school teacher i do feel like maybe i have a lot more freedom than a high school teacher does or i'm not constantly like finding myself like um layered over with all of these assessments and i mean i feel like a lot of the high school a lot of you high school teachers that are really into it and do a really good job like you then eventually you guys get pressured to teach ap classes and then there's like a whole nother mm -hmm. system right it's like it's a lot it's a lot yeah. um we're coming to the end of the hour i th i thought this was funny um my 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 high school class hallways have this hanging in the hallway and jackson my son has this in his classroom and when i first saw it i was like oh yeah yeah i should like i want to think about my words is it true helpful yeah i was like yeah that resonates with me and then when i brought it up to jackson i was like oh i've seen that post career before and my son second grade goes oh i would never want to have that pulled on me and i was like what <laughs> i was so shocked his reaction, he was like, oh, like if a teacher is coming to you and is asking, like, did you think like he was he really feels that this is a very negative. And I was like, that speaks to the culture in his particular classroom right now. Uh, he didn't he didn't feel like this was inspiring. He felt like this was reprimanding. And so just the audience uh, was interesting for me to consider. Yeah, or the intention behind. Mm -hmm. The message like going back to the first thing we did like someone did like yellow students red students uh -huh. green students and like what i assume those were were like levels and like yeah. like literally we've labeled so much that i literally associate like green as the top of the pyramid or or like you know like green is good yellow is like oh we're doing okay and like red is oh we've got a problem here yeah. um but like, I don't know what those problems are and I don't know how to address it. I just know there's a problem here. Yeah. Right. Um, this is the final slide. I don't know you we've in our audience may have seen this before, but um, these implicit bias tests, you can just Google them. You could take as many as you want. I'm sure they probably store data, but um, it's really interesting <laughs> to see what happens when you think you're not being biased uh, like i mean things i never even thought i was associating and like when i do these implicit bias tests it's like oh you have a strong automatic association for male and science and female and liberal arts and i was just like oh like that's something to like just consider and think about and um when um when i'm thinking about in my own classroom like who gets called on like do i have a bias to like when I ask someone to read, do I pick the boys because their voice is louder or do I, you know, like who's getting the time? And I think when we reflect on on those implicit biases and like really consider them and how they affect our practice. So this is just another tool that's available and free. So. And I have a strong automatic association for male science. Yeah shame on me well it is what it is so um in these last five minutes i just want to say thank you so much for giving us an hour of your time and hanging out with us uh if you can um put some more things in the chat of course we'll stick around 
I don't know if um, if we've done what you came here to do, but we're we're pleased that you were here. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for being here. It was great to um, just think about some of the labels that I use that I don't necessarily even think about uh, some of the meaning behind them. So thank you so much. Um, so uh, next week, uh, we are going to be hearing from Rhonda Hewer about creating an inclusive environment using project-based learning in middle school mathematics. So that's recommended for grades six through eight. Um, so I hope to see some of you back here next week. And if you really enjoyed this webinar, um, I hope that you will pass on the link to the recording uh, to other people that you think might benefit from what was shared tonight. Have a nice evening, everyone. Thanks, Lee. Thank you so much. <laughs> Sam, you. you said thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs>